This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Fay Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. First offense. All the mix. Okay, party people in the house. You're about to witness something you've never witnessed before. Well, I have had this young man on my show a couple of times, but I don't know if I've ever had him under these circumstances. We have talked many a time about the potential for the Canucks to make a change, but damn it, Rob Simpson, they finally pulled the plug. They make the move, and uh, it was wholesale changes. Good morning, Rob. What do you make of Canuck Nation today? Oh, my goodness. All kinds of changes. It's a new hockey day, and we've got snow on the ground in Vancouver. So if that's not an omen, hockey weather, the whole nine yards. Love it. So we will get into news across the NHL because another coach with ties to the Canucks finds himself on the outside looking in. We'll get to the life and times of Elaine Vigneault before the show is done. But let's circle back and let's start at the top working our way down. And I mean all the way at the top. What did it take for Francesco to finally, finally pull the plug? Well, from a public relations standpoint, uh, you know, seven minutes of booing and chanting fire Benning didn't help. And then a jersey gets thrown on the ice. I mean, it was coming already. The Things were already underway in terms of the work in progress and making the change. Jim Benning had been neutered a couple of weeks ago. He tried to fire Travis Green, as you and I talked about last week. Um, kind of the natural progression when the team is in a state like it was. It's like, okay, fire the coach. Let's see if we can turn this around. And they basically said, uh, no you're right there with them. So that's not going to happen. So they wrote it a little longer. They got their ducks in a row and they decided, I thought it would actually happen right back when they came from the road trip, but they actually let them play the home game, lose to Pittsburgh in embarrassment. And uh, off we go. A new horizon. Now let's look at Jim Benning, because obviously this guy over the last, what, three, four years really wore it, really took it on the chin. I want to talk about Jim Benning, the person, because it's really easy to fire up a podcast and talk about all the moves that he made that didn't work out for the Canucks. But Jim Benning is a good hockey man. It just ended up that he had enough of a track record of futility that you had to make this move. As I wrote this morning on Vancouver Hockey Now or last night, you know, he thought he'd saved his job. The writing was kind of on the wall. This was a do or die season. We knew that going in. Like, let's not forget that when this all started, we're like, okay, Travis Green and Jim Benning's jobs depend on this. We said it. It was obvious. Yeah. And it hasn't worked out. So they're gone. But we did think that maybe he had saved it. He purged all the salaries. He brought in Garland and, and OEL, which has worked out very well, Oliver Ekman Larson. Yaroslav Halak actually has slightly, I think, better analytic numbers than, than Demko. He's been very good. He just can't get any goals scored for him. You know, Jason Dickinson, maybe not where he wants to be yet. Anyway, made these summer moves. They're in much better shape, and maybe he just saved his gig. But it didn't work out that way, and there's a number of other issues. And two playoff performances in, or appearances in eight years is not helping your cause. So the rumor, the scuttlebutt, when it comes to being down at Rogers Arena, is that the reason that Jim Benning got his rope, or I guess the eight-year leash, if you will, is because he was willing to let Francesco be a part of the conversations. Now, we can either confirm or deny that because we're not physically in the room. But for the next guy coming in, we know who the head coach is. It's Bruce Boudreaux, and we'll get to that in a second. But for the the next general manager, who might not just be a stopgap guy because they filled it with a hodgepodge of guys in the meantime, 
Is that a conversation piece? Is that something in a meeting that you would say, listen, I I, I know what I'm coming into here, but we are going to have some church and state here. Like, how would you approach that if, in fact, Francesco does like to be a part of those conversations? Well, first of all, it depends on who that person is. It'll be interesting to see now that we have kind of this family thing going on with Stan Smeal, the great number 12, you know, Jersey retired and and, you know, five, six years as an assistant coach, been in the organization, player development, player evaluation. Um, give him a look. He's the interim GM. You've got Ryan Johnson, who played a couple of seasons for the Canucks, who spent a number of years in the National Hockey League and has been, you know, following his career off the ice since that time. Uh, interesting to see where this leads. There's, they've made it relatively clear to this point, and we'll hear more about this the afternoon of Monday from the owner and from Stan Smeal, what maybe their plans are um, after we're done with this, Rob. But for now, they'll get a look. They'll try to right the ship and then uh, try to find that president of hockey operations type. And um, I guess you'll get your answer, Rob, when you see the personality that comes in, if it's kind of a Brian Burke type or if it's someone a little more pliable <laughs> we'll see. Uh, and ran into Berkey the other day here and had a chat with him and uh, reminisced a little bit about his time, but yeah, it'll come down to, you'll, you'll know when the, when you see the hire. I think that they got to bring in Marcus Naslin and Pavel Bure in some way, shape or form, because then all six of the retired numbers within the Canucks organization oh will have God. had their hands in the executive office. <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting. It's you know, you never know. Okay, so we've we've gone through the GM possibilities. We've talked about Francesco. Let's just straight up talk about the coaches because there are some that say Travis Green's systems didn't work. There are some that say the players have checked out on him. Then there are also those are the cards that he was dealt. Where do you lie when it comes to the life and times of Travis Green? Well, it's a little bit of both, but I was under the impression they came off their six-game road trip to start the season at 3-2-1, and one, feeling pretty good by themsel about themselves. But by the third home game, all of which they lost, I remember saying to a guy in the press box next to me or near me, because I was kind of new to the scene in terms of this particular coaching staff in this situation, and said, do these guys not like their coach? And that was based on just watching really weird plays and guys making decisions that I was like, that had to have some intent behind it. Like, this guy's not happy. He just got that feeling. And then it just dragged on and on and on. And it was the same excuses every night and the same, oh, well, we just got to fix things and got to get going and go to score. And night after night after night, a broken record. And obviously the writing was on the wall. I think Jim Benning was not in the position that he was in. The move would have been made much earlier, as I've already pointed out, probably yeah. 10 days to two weeks earlier, uh, but it wasn't. So kaboom, it all happens at once. But yeah, I, I think there's an element of players no longer buying in. Maybe they're sick of the uh, the 40 skate, which some refer to as the bag skate before the season. Just maybe tired of the message. Special team sucks. That has an element of coaching involved, obviously. Yeah, it was... It was time, uh, and he only made the playoffs once, and that was in the bubble. All right, so I think it was my wife at one point said, don't bring me your problems, bring me your solutions. If you're the <laughs> Vancouver Canucks right now, I think she said that more than once. Um, uh -huh. If you're the Vancouver Canucks right now, the season is not a wash, but there's obviously work to be done. Tell me a little bit about Bruce Boudreaux. 
the solution, the temporary fix for this year and what looks to be reported as next year as well. What do you know about him that would make you say, okay, you know what, this guy might be able to do something here? Uh, I know Gabby. I've talked to Gabby. I've hung out a little bit with Gabby, and um, I've followed his track record. Had a bad reputation from a playoff standpoint. You might remember could never get past the first round with the Caps. Um, Struggled with Alex Ovechkin and those clubs and eventually was shown the door. When he took over, though, and this is what the fans here in Vancouver are looking forward to and what, what pundits are looking forward to, when he took over for Glenn Hanlon, like the team was just dead in the water. That was 2007. They just went on an incredible run and turned their season around uh, under Boudreaux um, and had a good run in Anaheim as well. And in fact, he eventually finally made it, actually made it to a conference final with the, uh, the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, so now he gets, he gets another opportunity here. Minnesota didn't work out so well. More of an offensive guy, a guy that can spark guys. And the idea is maybe we can get Pedersen and, and uh, Brock Besser going here with a new look under Bruce Boudreaux. What I always find curious is game day today, Monday against the LA Kings, you got a new coach coming in. Who apparently he's not going to be here to talk to the media till the late afternoon. Mm. It's like, you just, I guess you just go on the bench and observe. I mean, how much can you instill, right? You're just kind of like, holy smokes. And then start tomorrow, start pushing your, your envelope. It's kind of like the substitute teacher. You just yeah. let the kids do what they do. And as long as they stay in shape, you're fine with them. Pierre Lebrun is reporting that the deal in Vancouver is two years. It's two million for this season, two and a half for next season, which is a pretty good deal, according to Pierre Lebrun. So my question is, for a guy of his experience, speaking of Bruce Boudreaux, if they got him at that rock bottom price of just two million dollars, does that offset some of what they spent on Travis Green? I don't think they were paying him that much, from my understanding. So what he's making and what if you combine what Bruce, if that report is accurate, what he's making and what Green were it was making is less than what Gabby was making per season in Minnesota. I think he was five for five. So if even it's less than that, even if you combine the two coaches, the the guy that they have to pay off and uh, Boudreaux now. So I think he's, he's just happy. To, he's happy to get this opportunity. I was going to say it took a little of the sting away, and yeah, it gets him back on the charters with the big boys. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to really quickly, and Rob, I really appreciate your time, especially knowing what's still coming down the pipe today. We're going to hear from everybody. We should probably do a second one tonight or maybe bring you back on tomorrow. But when these kind of changes happen, and we talked about that some of the players had checked out, some of the players weren't listening. You mentioned it in a tweet last night. Now it's on the players. You Mm -hmm. wanted this. You got this. Now it's on you. What is the reaction usually when something this dramatic happens mid-season? Who do people look to? Well, they say the right things. We're going to talk to the players first after morning skate, and they'll say, oh, yeah, it always sucks when a coach gets fired. You know, it's, we got to do more. You know, they're going to say the right things. They always do. Yeah. Um, I went back through some of the numbers because we've, we've brought up the Mike Johnston change in, in uh, 15 when Sidney Crosby forgot how to play hockey, and then suddenly he started to learn again with Mike Sullivan. Um, we brought up Mike Yo. I was actually just going through game logs from the 2018-19 season to the St. Louis Blues early season. I was looking at Tarasenko and his game logs. I was looking at uh, Braden Shen, uh, Ryan O'Reilly. I was just seeing what happened after 19 games there. And actually, you know, the power play had been an issue in St. Louis. They had struggled, although there was a stretch where Tarasenko in November had five straight games with power play points. It was just, it was, there was just a lot of intangibles in that, 
dressing room with Mike Yo. And there's a little irony, by the way, which you'll get to in a few minutes here with Mike Yo. But, um, you know, statistically, sometimes it might not jump out at you. But for me, as I've written, and as, as you just pointed out, there, you know, the chemistry, the confidence level, the style of play, the buy-in, um, I'm curious to see whose behavior changes the most. And that would mean performance-wise and maybe attitude body language, because this was a, it's a bad room, or it was a bad room. Now let's see if that room improves. It's, I can tell you from multiple sources, not to the extreme that some tried to throw out there that guys were almost fighting each other, more so just just a bad room, just not a, just not a happy, cohesive unit. The low-hanging fruit would be the captain, Bo Horvat, who's, yep. you know, at times look a little disenchanted. But I'm curious to know how Brock Besser responds, because Besser's a guy that last year put together a pretty good season statistically, coming off a season where his father was ill and there was a lot of things hampering his mental game. I felt like a couple of times this year, be it on the bench or just the way that he played, that he was having tough times getting into the systems that were in place. So I, I'm very curious to know if he doesn't get a little more hungry, a little more aggressive, especially with an offensive-minded coach like Bruce Boudreaux. So that that I'm that's yeah. my guy that I'm circling. Great point. Okay, very quickly, let's pull the lens back, go to Philadelphia. Elaine Vigneault, eight straight losses for the Flyers. Philly is a tough town if you're a sports guy to get through it because they don't suffer fools either. Elaine Vigneault, former Jack Adams recipient, on the outside looking in. He's a really nice guy. He's a guy that knows how to win. Why can't he get Philadelphia over? What happened there? Jeepers. It's weird, too, because they were just here two or three weeks ago, and I did have a little chat with him, and he was just kind of had the cock of the walk. They were going pretty well right then, and he felt really good about himself. You remember that? And then, mm -hmm. and then maybe two weeks before that, he was – he had the pill thing come up. Remember the whole conversation about I he's do. pushing pills? And he's not a pusher. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not pushing pills. So it's been a strange season that way in Philadelphia, but a lot of them are there. I was in that market for a while, at least at that rink a lot. And um, he, while his goaltender started to freak out again, Carter Hart's been disappointing. This guy's a roller coaster ride from season to season. So you, you need goaltending can make a coach look very good or make a coach look very bad. Uh, the chatter now is that will Claude Giroux, the captain, waive his trade limitations? Um, I mean, that's kind of almost sacrilege in a way. He wants to stay there for his entire career, but that that talk is going on. So you know there's trouble in paradise or in the city of brotherly love when you're talking about getting to uh, get Claude Giroux to waive his no trade clause. So it was time. They're in a seven, seven game skid, seven, eight, eight ish, right yeah, in there, eight, yeah. eight game skid. And then ironically, Mike Yo comes in, who's the guy that was replaced that we've talked about by Craig Berube during that 1819 St. Louis season when they turned it around and essentially went from worst to first. So Yo out that year, Yo in now. Reports are coming out that Joe Biden's going to politely decline at least certain elements of attending the Olympics in Beijing. Uh, Robin Lehner coming out declining to play for Sweden at the 2022 Olympics, citing, quote, health reasons. But there are rumors that there are certain players that are not 100% wanting to. Maybe it's political reasons. Maybe it's personal reasons. Go to Beijing for the upcoming Olympics. Could it ever get to the point where the NHL would second guess or is it strictly a money play and they're going to be there because, damn it, that's where the money's at? No, oh, no, it's definitely an up-in-the-air issue. And they have until January 10th. So the COVID thing is number one. 
I think Sidney Crosby said it best, and this was probably a couple of weeks ago. He didn't jump on it and just go rah rah. The players want to go. He kind of said, "Well, you know, we'll evaluate it as time goes by here, and we'll make. Mm-hmm. I'll make a decision. We'll make a decision." No, there is nothing etched in stone. I mean, ultimately, the league still does not want to go. Owners do not want to go. If it was their preference, the season would continue unabated. The NHL season, that is. Um, you wouldn't have to deal with this. This is all about. Um, you know, CBA and kind of giving into the players, giving them a little something. And, and that little something is the Olympics. But now the players are realizing, holy crap, this might be absolutely no fun. Very strict protocols in China. So you're in Beijing sitting in a room in a bubble playing hockey or, you know, uh, it, it's getting a little bit dicey. So yeah. the financial part of it is, uh, you know, they, they the, the owners would be happy to, just continue making money domestically during that time period if they were given the opportunity. Again, I'm not expecting to put you on the spot here by saying this, but let's say all of a sudden the NHL says, screw it, we're not going to go over. What do they do with that two and a half week gap in their season? Do they just tell everybody to go have spring break or do they try? (laughs) What do they do with that? (laughs) Good question. I think they would probably have an opportunity to modify it a little bit. Um, I know buildings are committed for concerts and other things, but then again, because of COVID, there's probably more flexibility than there typically would be because mm-hmm. buildings have not been utilized as much. I think they would try to figure out a way to rejigger the whole deal and get some games in and keep rocking and rolling. And th- what's really silly though, is they're having that Vegas all-star game right before the Olympics. So you got a group of all the stars that are probably going to be in Beijing under normal circumstances going to Vegas first. So good luck boys. Don't go out and get COVID while you're in Vegas. Don't have any fun. As a guy that's been to Vegas plenty, COVID is the least of my concerns when it comes <laughs> to picking up stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's like, okay, and then we're going to get on a flight for Beijing. So yeah. good luck with all that. You know, it's they bit off a little more than they could chew. But anyway. Awesome. Well, Rob, thank you for this. I know there's going to be a lot of information coming out over the next couple of hours. Uh, keep in touch, all right? We don't just have to do this on Mondays, especially when uh, we've got all this, I guess, an avalanche of information coming to us. But enjoy Bruce Boudreau at 4.15, two hours. Before. And by the way, fun fact, I think he's like 16 or 17 games away from his 1,000th game. Do oh. the Canucks, who have a home game against Ottawa on January the 8th, do they give him big pomp and circumstance for his 1,000th game coach, considering it would only be 16 sure. in Vancouver? Sure. Why not? Anything to throw a party up. Right? <laughs> well, they got to recognize it. I mean, he, he can't control where he is when it happens, and yeah. neither, can, neither can they. So I'm sure they'll give him a nice little, hey, how you doing? Yeah. You don't have a, like he, one clip of like Vancouver Canuck action. <laughs> he, he's a media darling, by the way. So oh. even if, Yeah. I'm like, glad you said this. I'm glad yeah. you said this because I think we both know. I'll say it because I don't give a shit. I know guys in this media who are chomping at the bit for Bruce Boudreau to become the coach here because now they're going to get their in. They're going to have their contact. I personally think that this is going to be embarrassing at some points is how much of a love in this is for the rest <laughs> of the season. You you watch. I, I was having a conversation with my buddy last night. and He goes, you know, Bruce is great with the media. And I said, I know. I, and, and coming in on the heels of everything we've been through, he's the perfect guy for this situation. He'll he'll sop up every inch of this. Absolutely. Yeah, we might have to do this again in the next couple of days because, yeah, there's going to be an avalanche of, of information and it would, it would be fun to kind of jump back on. So any maybe day, any time.
Let's remind the folks about Equity Guru, your sponsor, and remind the folks about Vancouver Hockey Now, because that's where they can find all the information. VancouverHockeyNow.com. Probably the most populated website that you'll find in Vancouver. They're not just putting out one story a day. You're putting out three to four right now. It's embarrassing. You're showing everybody up, Rob Simpson. It's rocking, baby. It is rocking. Let's Thank do you. it again. Thank you, Robert. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio with Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity Guru. Equity Guru, investment information for millennials and madmen.